Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, hello. I am Jordan Frazier. If you don't know me, haven't had the chance to meet, I'm sorry about that, but I'm not Barrett. I'd like to say I'm better looking than Barrett. I know I'm hairier than Barrett, so that's something. Um, uh, But I'm so glad to be here. I am the church planning resident here at ICC, um, which basically means that my family and I have been called back to this place in Memphis to plant a church in the uptown community, a, a neighborhood and a community which we love and care so deeply about and God has called us to do that work and we're just super excited to do that and get to do that in partnership with ICC. So since some of you don't know me, I'm gonna put pictures up of my family. You think that's fair? Okay, so uh, this is our family. This is me and my wife, Audrey. This was this last October. Uh, This is my 13-year-old son, Marcus, and my 11-year-old daughter, Shayla. Um, They resemble us, don't they? uh, no, we, uh, when we were in Memphis, we were in Memphis from 2012 to 2017. And in 2015, uh, I would say we, but Audrey told me that we were supposed to be foster parents. And I said, oh, okay, all right. Uh, so in 2016, we got, in July of 2016, we got Marcus and Shayla as our first foster placement. And from the moment we got them, we just prayed like, Lord, we think these are our kids forever. Can you make a way and make that happen? And so <clears throat> we had a long, long time to make that happen. We, we were in a court battle for, for Marcus and Shayla for over five years. And just this last October got to adopt them, which is uh, pretty incredible. So you can, you can clap for that. All right. <clears throat> um, when we left in 2017, I, I was pastoring a church, this church as an associate pastor of local and global missions. We left in 2017 and went to work for a nonprofit organization um, called Tennessee Baptist Children's Homes. And of those six years, Audrey and I were house parents to like 40 girls in our house over the span of six years. So uh, on the next picture, we'll show you some additions we have to our family. On the left there, that's my 22-year-old cat, uh, and that's her daughter, Lele. And then on the right is my daughter, G. She's 21, and she lives in Chattanooga. So on the left, Kat and Lele actually live with us here in Memphis. And I put one more picture up because it's super cute. And that's Lele when we took her rock climbing a few months back. So that is our family. It is not the family we had any idea that God would bring us, but it is the family that we have. And for that, I'm so, so grateful. Um, I want to start out by sharing a story. It's one of my favorite little stories that happened a long, long time ago, but it's one that I kind of draw to when I think about what I, why I'm here, what I'm called to do. Um, <clears throat> there was a rabbi once by the name of Akiba, and Akiba was walking home, uh, and it got really late at night, and he was memorizing scripture and, and just telling scripture to himself, and there came a fork in the road, and he was supposed to take a left, but he ended up taking a right. And when he took a right, he didn't know the difference because it was so dark and he was walking down the road and he stumbles upon a Roman outpost. And when he stumbles upon this Roman outpost, out of the dark, he hears, 
Stop. Who are you? What are you doing here? And Akiva freezes and he realizes the mistake that he's made. And he hears the voice again. Stop. Who are you? And what are you doing here? Akiva gathers his thoughts. And then he shouts out from the dark. How much do you get paid? And the Roman guard was kind of taking him back. He didn't, he didn't know what to say. And he said, I get paid five drachma a week. And Akiva said, I'll pay you double if you'll stand outside my house. And every morning when I walk out the door, you ask me those two questions. Who are you? And what are you doing here? When I think about why I'm here in this moment, why we left what we left in Nashville to come back to Memphis, those two questions are the ones I had to answer. I knew God was calling me to, to church plant. I knew God was calling me back to Memphis. And so I had to answer, all right, God, who am I? This is who you've called me to be. What am I doing here? This is what you've called me to do. So just a mini sermonette in, in classic Barrett fashion, right? As, as you walk away today, as we open even in Lamentations, I just want to encourage you throughout this week, ask yourself those questions. Who am I and what am I doing here? Because that's going to be where you find some of your purpose. So without further ado, let's get into this. So we are in the book of Lamentations uh, in a series called Brokenness and Hope. We are actually right now in week four and we are uh, in chapter two and a sermon called Recognizing His Holiness. Um, that is the title of what we're doing today. I want to remind us of some things and some places that we've been so that we can kind of all be on the same page and catch up together. So some of the places that we've been uh, per uh, the last three weeks that we've talked about, we've talked about the need for lament. And what is lament? And lament is the pathway that God has provided for us to engage him in our grief. This is a great reminder for us, right? God has a pathway for our grief, our anxiety, our, all, the, all the pain and the suffering that we're experiencing. He has a pathway for us to be able to move it towards him, all right? And that pathway is lament. Lament is also this idea of laying out our pain, our questions, and our struggles before God. So basically the idea that Barrett's touched on in the previous weeks is like, there is nothing off limits in lament. Take your hardest, darkest, scariest thing that you're walking in, and you can bring that before the Lord. God has made a pathway for that. Last week, we also, he also introduced this idea of a starting point being in lament, we bring our complaints to God. And those complaints are made up primarily of feelings that we have and losses that we're experiencing, okay? I would not be, I would be pretty dumb to think that everyone has walked into this place this morning without some feeling of disruption or feeling of sadness or feeling of loss or there's some list that you have of things that in this season maybe that you've lost or things that have been taken away from you that's the human condition we we live human lives we love lives that show us that pain is almost necessary and these things happen to us time and time again so we can bring our complaints which are the feelings and the losses to God 
Last week, he also touched on something that, that will kind of springboard us into what we're talking about uh, today is we have these moments where we have critical junctures and responsibility. You guys remember him talking about this? It was the idea that <clears throat> there are some times when we deal with suffering, we've got to figure out what kind of juncture it is and what's our responsibility in it. Um, he, he talked about last week, the different causes for suffering and pain. Anybody remember that? Um, Satan being one of them, the brokenness of the world being another. And then lastly, even choice, the choice of others. But where we landed last week was even sometimes the choices of ourself. And so I just want to touch on that really briefly because if we don't have a handle on that, there's no way we're going to be able to get through chapter two today. So a couple of things he said last week that I thought were really great. I've got on the screen. Not every negative circumstance and suffering you experience is directly connected to a specific sin in your life. When we, when, when Audrey and I waited so long to adopt our kids, in my head, I knew that that suffering was not connected to sin in my life. But in my heart, I remember continuing to ask God, like, God, is it me? Like, is it my fault? Like, what am I doing wrong? Like, will you just show me what do I need to do better so that this can happen? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, like in our head, we may know, okay, yes, not everything's connected to our personal sin, but we're also people, I think, if you're like me, that a lot of times you question, all right, Lord, is everything going wrong just because I'm scum? Like I'm, I'm messing up, like I'm sinning, like what is going on? What do you need to teach me? And, and what he's saying here is like, it's not all that cut and dry. It's not all that black and white. It's not as easy to compartmentalize and separate as we may want it to be. We also see this, that not every painful calamity in life is a result of your bad choices, okay? Not every painful calamity in your life is a result of your bad choices. I think back to my two older kids, Kat and G, one of which I think is the luckiest person I've ever met in my life. And the other of which is the unluckiest person I've ever met in my life. Like literally one of them could like just be walking down the road and it's like, oh, it's a hundred dollar bill. And it's like, oh, great. I'll pick it up. And the other one could walk down the same road and then look and it's like, oh, there's a MLGW bill and it's got my name on it. And <laughs> it's a thousand dollars. And you know, like <clears throat> it has nothing to do with their choices, right? That, that some of our Things that are happening in our lives that are causing us pain have nothing to do with the choices in our life. And lastly, he said this, in every moment of suffering, there is an opportunity for us to see and own any brokenness that is within us. I think this is where we got to land today, okay? We've got to be honest with ourselves about where we are so that we can own anything that we need to own. And in chapter two, this is kind of what's, you know, we're not really seeing the, the idea of uh, a suffering for a, for a, a righteous cause or um, just suffering. We're actually in chapter two walking into this latter thing where the people of, of, you know, in Jerusalem are looking and saying, God, why have you done this? And he, he basically tells them, I've done this because of the choice that you've made to walk away, the choice that you've made to sin. And so he needed them to own and see what they were doing. So just 
briefly, I just want to touch on that and have you guys be ready for that because it is a, a heavy, heavy chapter in that regard. So if you'll do me a favor, open up to Lamentations chapter 2. It'll also be on the screen here. We're going to go all the way through verse 17 and then we're going to chop it up a little bit and figure out what's going on. All right, Lamentations chapter 2. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all of the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand set like a foe. And he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes. In the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all of its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his booth like a garden. Laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord has made Zion forget festival and Sabbath. And in his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They raised a clamor in the house of the Lord as on the day of festival. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the, wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying he calls rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground. Because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? And they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. How can I say for you, to what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you? O virgin daughter of Zion, for you, your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you the false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. 
All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? All your enemies rail against you. They hiss, they gnash their teeth, they cry. We have swallowed her. Oh, this is the day we have longed for. Now we have it, we see it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He is thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Anybody want to take a deep breath real fast? When we talk about an overwhelming moment, Jeremiah is looking out over all the city and he's saying, look at what God has done. And there's not one spot of the city that is left untouched. This is really actually one of the first times we see that Jeremiah starts attributing the things that are happening directly to God. Previously in, in the first chapter, he's, he's talked about his bitterness and he's talked about his pain and his suffering and he's, he's made observation of what the city looks like. But in this moment, for the first time, he, he actually says that God has done these things, right? He's surprised that God is acting the way he is against his people. And you see it because he starts using this he has language, okay? In the first 10 verses of Lamentations 2, how many times do you think Jeremiah uses the statement he has in regards to what God has done? In 10 verses, he uses it 20 times. 20 times he's sitting there and saying, God has done this. God has not shielded us. God has burned us up. God has not defended us. He is on and on and on and on and on. He is using these statements of he has. We see in Lamentations chapter two, verse one, a couple of examples, right? We see, um, if you go down, he has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of anger. Go on to verse two. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy. He has brought down the ground in dishonor, the kingdom and its rulers. Verse three, he goes on. He has cut down in fierce anger. He has withdrawn. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob. Go on to verse four. He has bent his bow like an enemy. He has killed all who were delightful in our eyes. He has poured out his fury like fire. Can I be honest? Just, can we all be honest this morning? This chapter makes me uncomfortable. It makes me so uncomfortable. Like I, I looked at Barrett and I was like, Barrett, this is the first time preaching at the church. You're giving me limitations too? <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Let me ask you, talking to a neighbor or a friend about the Lord, when's the last time you used Lamentations 2 to lead them <laughs> to the goodness and the grace of Jesus? It's hard, but it's true. It's hard, but it's true. You see, he is saying, God, you have done these things to us. You... 
this is from you and how do I deal with that? That's a timeless question, if we're honest. Because there may be situations in your life right now where you go, oh, hold on. Lord, if this is coming from you, I don't know where I, how to respond or how to do this. I don't know how to react. How do we respond when God acts in a way that we think he shouldn't? Or there was this phrase I thought of earlier this week, and it may rub some toes. I want to explain it. How do we respond to a disobedient God? Now, hear me clearly. God is not disobedient. But a lot of times, there are times in which God acts in ways that we wish he would act how we want. We put ourselves in the throne room of God and say, God, you act this way. And so when he disobeys what we want, how do we respond to that? I can think of so many times. I think of so many times in my life where I've walked into pain or suffering or disappointment or just struggle where I've looked and said, God, you've called me to this. You've walked this with me. I know you're faithful, but God, why is this being brought upon me right now? I'd love to ask you that question. If you've got a pen, piece of paper, I'd love for you just to quickly make a note. What, is the, what are those for you? What are those places in which God has acted in a way that you thought he shouldn't have acted and you've had to sit and pick up the pieces of that? Because that's exactly what's happening here in Lamentations 2. Jeremiah is surprised at the way that God is acting, and he's left with the pieces of it. The first step into uh, responding to God in holiness is this. <clears throat> We've got to understand that we have to see God as he is, not just as we wish him to be. See, if we only live in the partial understanding of who we want God to be, we can never recognize God as he truly is. And if we're actually honest, if we have an honest conversation about who we want God to be, he already is that. We want a God who is perfect in all of his ways, right? We want a God who is in control of all things, right? At, at least when we're on his good side, it's like, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm good with that, God. Like, yeah, you're in control. Great. I, I'm going to hand it over to you. You've got this all you need, right? We, we want a God who does all those things. The hard part is it's a lot easier to preach, to teach, to live in God's goodness, God's grace, God's eternal love for us, which are all perfect in who he is. Sometimes it's difficult to live in God's justice. Sometimes it's difficult to be on the other side of God's wrath. And this is not an easy word. I'm, I'm, I'm literally, it's not an easy word I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching it to myself this morning. But if we're not willing to see God as he truly is, then we'll never understand God as he needs to be. We have to see him as he is, not as we wish him to be. Kind of the first uh, idea that we have and understanding we have in Jeremiah is this. He starts describing God in a way that helps us understand that God really hasn't changed. Okay. So I want to call your attention to a couple things. So uh, Lamentations 2 chapter 3. He describes 
uh, God as defender. This language is defense, okay? So he is cut down in fierce anger. All the might of Israel, he has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He is a defender. What Jeremiah is wrestling with in this moment is he is a defender that now has done what? Withdrawn himself. He's, he is struggling with the fact that God has been defending them from the very beginning and yet he has withdrawn himself from the people. We see God as a defender through scripture. He doesn't change. We, we heard Tom talk about it earlier today. Psalm 121. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. 2 Samuel 22, the Lord is my rock. He is my fortress and my defender. So the Lord isn't changing. He's still described as this, but there's a tension. There's a gap. And that's what we got to figure out. He goes on to describe God as this, God as a consuming fire. Lamentations 2.3, he is burned like a flaming, oh, not 2.3, sorry. He is burned like a flaming fire in Jacob consuming all around, right? Where else do we see in scripture God described as a flaming and consuming fire? Well, I mean, Moses talked to him in that form, right? In the burning bush, as he called Moses to free the people of Israel from from Egypt, right? We see this in the burning bush. We see it in Isaiah, right? You see this vision in the first, uh, I think it's the first few chapters of Isaiah where he has this vision of God in the throne and he's like, oh, I can't, I can't be here. I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm unclean. And God cleans his lips. And then God asks who will go for us. And Isaiah says, it's me. I will. And then later in chapter 64, Isaiah says this, who of us can dwell with the consuming fire of God? God hasn't changed. He is here who he was there. You see Moses in the burning bush in 1 Kings 18. What happens when Elijah, what does he call down from heaven? The fire of God to light the altar against the prophets of Baal, right? God has not changed. He is these things. We see God as a warrior. Lamentations 2, chapter 4. He has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand set like a foe and he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes. We see in Exodus 15 that Moses praised God right after they escaped from the Dead Sea and the Egyptians drowned and he calls God a mighty warrior or a man of war. In Ephesians 6, we're told to do what? Put on the armor of God. God has not changed. These are aspects of God that remain the same, the same, the same. We see later, God as a ruler, Lamentations 2, verses 6 and 7. He has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place. On down it says, in his fierce indignation, he has spurned king and priest. 1 Chronicles 29, 12 describes God as the ruler of the universe. In John 1, it says all things were created through him. And without him, not one thing was created. Do we see it? Do we see that God has not changed, but something has changed? Here's what we have to know. The first kind of main point of today is this. God is consistent and steady in his ways. 
God is consistent and steady in his ways. If we had a God who could be bent or manipulated by us, then that wouldn't be God. God is consistent and steady in who he is. So when there's a gap, when there's frustration or when God doesn't act the way we think he should act, what does that mean? Let's go on to Lamentations 2, verse 11. It says this, my eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bowel is poured out to the ground. Because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. You see, there are situations in our lives where we feel sick, overwhelmed, overcome. I I painted this beautiful picture of our family earlier today, but here's what I'll tell you, man. Being a parent is hard. Being an adoptive parent is hard. I remember vividly in 2016, it was like two months after we'd gotten Marcus and Shayla. For some reason, Audrey was away with Marcus and I was at home with Shayla and it was just, it was bad. She was crying, she was raging, she was upset, she was mad. I felt helpless. I remember as a 27, 28 year old grown man locking myself in my bedroom laying on the floor and crying and saying, God, why is this happening? You called me to this. You told me this is who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do. So why is it so hard? Why is my stomach so upset? Why do I feel like just ripping skin from bone? Like why do I feel so desperate for something to change? Later on in verse 13, it says this. What can I say for you? To what compare you? O daughter of Jerusalem, what can I liken to you that I may comfort you? O virgin daughter of Zion, for your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Sometimes there's no words. Sometimes there's no ability to even speak and say what you need or how to get it. Sometimes the situation may be so overwhelming and and literally pressing on your shoulders so hard that you have nothing else to compare it to. This is exactly where Jeremiah was. He's saying, Lord, you've done all these things and here I am. I I don't even know how to describe all the things that are happening. All I know is like my whole body is churning because of this. Like my eyes are on the edge of tears at every second. Has anybody ever been in a situation like that? What situation or season has left you in a place speechless, weeping, and overwhelmed? I encourage you. There may be something popped into your head. Write it down. Because the next thing we've got to do is, are we willing to examine it fully? Are we willing to examine it fully? 
Later on in Lamentations at the last verse that we're going to look at, verse 17, it says this. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity and he has made the enemy rejoice over you. And he exalted the might of your foes. Man, the Lord has done what he purposed. He meant for this to happen. Like this was, this is, mind you, this is the same Jeremiah that we all love to quote when like things are hard and it's like, for I know the plans, you know, <laughs> I know the plans you have for me, right? This is the same Jeremiah that's now saying, this was on purpose. This wasn't by accident. God didn't just like take his eye off Jerusalem and was surprised that it got ransacked and all these things happened. No, no, no. God has a purpose for this. And he's carried it out in his word. He commanded this long ago and now we are here. We are at the day of reckoning. What's he talking about? If you've got your Bibles, you can flip. I'm not going to have it on the screen, but you can flip to Deuteronomy 28. It's kind of in the moment where the, the people of Israel are, are now uh, wandering in the desert. They're wandering around. They're trying to understand their identity, what God wants from them. And basically they, you know, Moses has basically told them, hey, here's what it's going to look like. You know, I've spoken to God. God's spoken to me. Here's, here's, here's the situation. Here's what God desires. And verse, uh, the start of chapter 28 basically talks about this idea of blessing. If you follow the Lord, you will be blessed. And the idea of like, here are the things that are coming if you will be willing to follow after the Lord. Boom, 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 boom. And then starting in verse 15, all the way through verse 64, it says this. If you are unwilling to follow the Lord, if you are disobedient in your ways, and it, and it creates a whole list of what the Lord has commanded. What we see in, in 28 is an idea that you will be cursed. And here's some of the curses in verse 15 through 16. If you do not follow God's commandments, cursed you shall be in the city, cursed you will be in the fields. Verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. Verse 48, you will serve your enemies in hunger, thirst, nakedness, lacking everything. Verse 68, the Lord will make delight, will take delight in ruin and destruction. Does this sound familiar? The Lord's basically saying, yeah, I had a purpose. I warned you about that purpose long ago. And you didn't, you didn't take me seriously in this. And you may say, well, hold on. Like, isn't, doesn't God have grace? Isn't God patient? Absolutely. Absolutely. He is right. He delivered them from Egypt. He stayed with them in the desert. He gave them the promised land, right? They, they messed up in the promised land and he still delivered it to them right? What did he do then? He then rose up prophets again and again to say, hey, let's not depart too far from what God wants or else this is going to happen. And they'd be like, oh yeah, that's right. And they'd come back and then that prophet would die. And then they'd go back to what they were wanting. And then God would raise another prophet, prophet after prophet after prophet. And then when they got tired of the prophets, they said, we just want a king. Just give us a king. We'll be happy then. We'll follow the Lord then. So what does he do? He gives them a king. 
And he gives them another king after that and kings after that. And all of a sudden, what starts to happen in, we see in like biblical history, like this one kingdom splits into two kingdoms. And all of a sudden, kings start falling away from the Lord, doing what they want to do. And so the people follow after them. You see, God has grace. God is patient. But at some point, we have to realize that God is also holy. And if we are unwilling to live in the things that God has called us to live in, we have to realize that only suffering and destruction will follow. Does that make sense? It's not an easy word. It's not something that you're going to walk out of here and be like, man, you need to listen to the podcast preacher this morning. Really? You know, it's not one of those things this morning. But it doesn't make it any less true. God has set a standard for his people. And when his people continually over and over and over again depart from that standard, God had to show them his true nature. We see Lamentations 1, chapter 8, if we'll go back to it. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Here's the second point I want you to think about. God is consistent and steady in his ways. The tension arises when we are not. Guys, we are fickle people. One of my favorite hymns of all time is Come Now Fount of Every Blessing. And one of the reasons it's my favorite is because I feel like it describes me perfectly when it says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's me. I am prone to wonder far from what God has for me. And when I do that, it's not that God has changed. You know, we go back to these ideas of who God is. Like he is a defender. He's a ruler. He's a consuming fire, right? If he's standing steady in that place of being that person. What changes is not God. He's staying there. What changes is my position. I'm like all over the place. Like here, I'll be here. I'll be here. You know, like I move far away. I move close. I move behind. I move beside. So what begins to happen to the the people of Judah is they're, they're realizing that they've moved far away from God or they've moved in direct fire of his justice. And they're like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this. You're not defending me anymore because I've, I've now gone before you instead of staying behind you. Right? Like, I feel the heat of this fire because I, I've, I'm, directly, I'm directly ahead of you in this. I placed what I want ahead of what you want, and I'm feeling the heat of this. God hasn't changed. The tension happens when we do. I had this silly, like, illustration. I don't know if anybody did this growing up, but I think of tug of war. Did anybody do, like, field day tug of war? And I was always like, I would say like the strong guy, really, I was just always the biggest guy. So they put me in the back and I always liked like looping it around me and then like, you know, pulling people that way. And I think of like, you, you put the strongest person in the back as the anchor and then everyone else pulls in the same direction as that person does. And, and eventually if you're strong enough together, then you'll move the needle this way. 
When I think of what's happened in this chapter, I get that visual of God being the anchor in this and he's inviting us to hold the rope with him, do the things with him. He's invited these people to be holy and at some point we forget what side we're on and we let go of the rope and we walk all the way over to this side and we're like, all right, I've got a hold of the rope now. But the problem is like God is still pulling the rope in that direction. And now we feel like we're pulling in this direction and there's tension. God didn't change his direction. He didn't change what he was trying to accomplish. We did. We did. We have to understand that we are not consistent or steadfast. I want you to recall this. In every moment of suffering, there's an opportunity for us to see and own any brokenness that is within us. Next slide says this. Ultimately, there are depths of God's actions that finite human beings cannot grasp. God's revelation in word and act consistently shows his justice and covenant love. Yet there is always a residue of human experience that demands our bowing to a wisdom too high for our understanding. It's this idea of sovereignty. It's a big word. It's a church word. All right. But this idea of sovereignty is this. God can do what he wants or not what he wants. He is in control. He doesn't answer to us. God can do what he wants. That's scary. That's hard. It can be difficult. But thank God that we have a savior and a God who loves us and is sovereign. Who cares for us and is sovereign. A couple of things to think about as we kind of uh, close here. Brokenness, especially suffering, as consequential to our sin, has to move us in two ways. We must see God as he truly is. We can no longer say, I want this piece of God, but not this piece of God. Or I want this aspect of God, but not this aspect. And then we have to see ourselves as we truly are. We can't be this inflated people of Judah like, oh, I didn't have anything to do with this. Like, I, I'm not guilty. Like, I, we have to see ourselves as who we are, just as Isaiah did when he said, no, no, no I'm, a, I'm a man of unclean lips. Like, it's only by your grace that I'm going to get to be in relationship with you. When we see God as who he is and we see us as who we are, we are then in the right place to be able to walk humbly with God who cares for us. As the band gets ready and comes up, I just want to leave you with this last thing. And I had a a professor in college that I just truly loved, cared about a lot. He was uh, just a really great guy, solid um, wisdom, like just poured out, poured out over him. And I remember he led us in this prayer uh, often. And um, what I loved about him is he was, he was simple. He didn't use bigger words than he had to, or he didn't, um, you know, do things he, you know, to, to make himself sound smarter. This simple prayer that I remember is one that I think, I think we need to sit on and leave with today. And it's this, God, you are Lord. I am not, 
and that's okay. God, you are Lord. I am not, and that's okay. We may be in different spots this morning. Maybe you're in a spot where you haven't relinquished control to God. You haven't said, all right, you are in control. You are Lord. I've got to acknowledge that. Maybe, maybe you have and you say, all right, God, you're Lord, but you're also like, well, I am too. Like, let's co-own this together. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. We'll see if we can make this work together. That's not how it works. And maybe you're at the spot where it's like, all right, I acknowledge that God is who he is. I acknowledge who I am, who I am, but I'm mad about it. I'm frustrated by it. God is inviting you to a place of surrender. He's inviting you to a place of saying, it is okay that you aren't in control. It is okay that your way is not my way. It is okay. If you will just surrender who you are to who I am, it'll be okay. So as we end today, as we move into a time of invitation, I just want to leave you with that. What does it look like for you today? With your heart, with your strength, with your whole self, to be able to claim and, and take freedom over this idea that, Lord, you are God, I am not, and that's okay. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.